Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Thank you, Jesus. We need you, God. Every minute, every hour. Every second, we need you, God. You are our everything. We thank you for everything you have been to us, in us, and about us. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved us and keep on preserving us through this lasting pandemic. I'm grateful, God, for your church, which still stands, regardless of people's finances, regardless of outsiders' commitments, God, there is a remnant that you have preserved. You've kept this church, Lord, through this pandemic. And I pray, oh God, for this here, your people, that you would continue to bless us, guide us, and show us how you love all up on us. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. New Life, Philly. How are y'all doing this morning? Y'all all right? Can we just thank the Lord for one another, just real quick, for being able to be in the presence of one another to see the beautiful spirits of folks? I can't see your smiles but I can see your eyes. And I think some of y'all are smiling at me. Uh, But uh, regardless, I'm grateful um, for you. Uh, We have been in the book of Mark. 
Um, And today we are in verses 20 through 35. It's a bit of a lengthy text, so I'm going to ask you to stand as I read it, Um, but you don't have to uh, join in. I'll be reading from the NIV version. If we could all stand together when you found it. Mark chapter 3 beginning with verse 20. It reads like this. And he went home, and the crowd gathered again. I'm sorry. Just change versions on me. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, you're Mother and brothers are outside. They're looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Turn to your neighbor or someone behind you. Say, hey, brother. Hey, sister. You can be seated. You can be seated. The year was 2011. The city was Philadelphia. After a bevy of free agent signings over the spring and summer, newly acquired backup quarterback Vince Young was the former number three overall pick in the 2006 NFL Draft. He declared this about the Philadelphia Eagles, that they are a dream team. Our Philadelphia Eagles had signed a number of high-profile players at very important positions, and the team's success the previous year led many analysts and fans to believe that the additional haul of all these high-profile players was a sure bet to make the Eagles Super Bowl contenders. Well, what was the dream on paper ended up being a nightmare 
in reality, uh, that team actually missed the postseason, didn't even make the playoffs, and had a losing record. The season serves as a cautionary tale that translates, I think, beyond the world of sports, that what seems well-intentioned on paper may not be the way things are supposed to play out in reality. Unbeknownst to this Philadelphia Eagles team, its fans and other analysts, six years later, the Eagles would go on to win the Super Bowl. Not on realized super, uh, superstar dream team potential, but thanks to the across-the-board buy-in of backups and role players on a team that had been decimated by season-ending injuries to many key players, including the starting star quarterback. Uh, this idea of chemistry, I think, is often overplayed in the analysis of sports and even in the workplace and, and some other settings. However, there does seem to be some kind of intangibility that bridges the gap between uh, what our intentions are and what our effectiveness actually is. So we're going to see in our text today that, that Jesus in the Gospels is, is not often communicating necessarily a formulaic way of living the Christian life, but often will, will, will put up and teach via parables principles that can help guard our way of life. Um, if you've ever been to the bowling alley and you've been there with uh, little kids who are first learning to bowl, hopefully you were gracious towards them and asked them, to put up uh, the gutter uh, guardrails, right, right? The, the purpose of those is to help bowlers who are maturing to avoid rolling the ball into the gutter, thereby ensuring that the ball reaches the pins. So I'm going to submit to you today that there are two uh, gutter rails that, that Jesus is, is teaching us today through Mark's gospel, and that's one, beware of the facade of the knowledge about Christ. Beware of the facade of the knowledge about Christ. And the second is, uh, beware the facade of the proximity to Christ. Uh, I think the thread that runs through both those assertions could, could possibly be summarized by saying this, that intentional Christian living without humility nullifies possibilities of kingdom expansion. Let me say that again. The, the thread that, that or, or the, the assertion that I think could be summarized through those two things is this, that intentional Christian living without humility nullifies possibility for kingdom expansion. That when our presumptions trump God's redemptive capacity, we reduce our ability to see in par and participate in what God is doing in the world. If there was one theological emphasis or big idea that, that I wanted to leave with you uh, today, it would uh, simply be this, that the mission of Jesus Christ into this world is primarily him establishing the kingdom of God and uprooting the kingdom of darkness. How? By redeeming, by the redeeming presence and work of Jesus Christ. This is key though, that in that mission, we are invited as 
partners, not creators, and must be careful to seek God and what he is already doing in places, in spaces, and in people, not to make presumptions about where, how, and in whom the Holy Spirit bears witness to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. So we find ourselves still in this book of Mark. Uh, Jesus uh, has is not necessarily in the infancy of his ministry that he started in uh, northern Galilee, but he has made his way down a little bit further south along the border of the Sea of Galilee, and he's going from town to town preaching and healing. So he's still geographically in that northern area, and he's ministered to some of those in the rural regions and now through the towns around the Sea of Galilee. Just to give you some idea, Galilee is in the northern region. Jerusalem is in the south. Jerusalem, the capital city of this Roman province, Israel. But the writer Mark has clued us into the growing popularity of Jesus. We see in our text that crowds continually gather around Jesus. They're they're wondering about what they've seen and what they've heard. And I'm sure uh, some some of the people gathering to him are those who are just following him around from town to town. Oh, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Guess what he did there? Guess what he did there? And they're bringing friends and family because what they've experienced, they want others to experience this intriguing man who's on fire preaching and healing and doing things that have, that have never been done before. So much so that even from the rural area, even from the boonies of Galilee, his reputation has made its way down south to the capital city, Jerusalem. We see other groups in this text, his associates, his family members, and teachers sent from Jerusalem to challenge Jesus. This man, out of who knows where, North Dakota. (laughs) People are coming from New York City to say, what is happening here? They're trying to find out. So here's the thing. We need to beware of the facade of the knowledge about Christ. And when I say that, I'm really talking about Uh, uh, our religious understanding of what God is all about, our theology. That we cannot allow our theology to get in the way of the presence of Christ in our lives. Here's one thing you ought to know if you're to beware of the facade of the knowledge of Christ, that the denial of Jesus is a presumption of the sufficiency of our own wisdom. Look at uh, verse 22 with me. It says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. 
Now, it's, it's easy to, to, to point out when someone is denying Jesus who's perhaps unsaved, haven't heard of Jesus before, they don't go to church, they say, I never go to church. It's another thing when the, when the religious establishment is coming around to say, you know what? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit into our cultural norms. That doesn't fit into our cultural practice. It's easy to point out that the unsaved have to make a decision about Jesus, that he's either a liar with the claims that he's making, a lunatic, or Lord, as C.S. Lewis would put it. But here's where the religious establishment had an issue, that choosing theological purity over the awareness of Christ's presence. This is part of the thrust of this uh, portion of the scripture, that denial of Jesus in this vein is not simply the denial of the saving work of Christ. See, we're tempted to take liberties with our mandate, that acknowledging the sovereignty of God and bringing one to saving faith, somehow, okay, that's separate. God, you got that. You got the saving faith part. Let us do the church part. God, you can do all, you can do all the saving that you want, bring everybody to Jesus, but once they get in here, we got it from here, God. Our wisdom, our plans, our strategies, our structure, our budget, our outlook, all those things without input, without being rested in the presence and the awareness of Jesus is problematic. We often think that we're the gatekeepers. But the inherent problem of religion is not a God-made problem, but a human problem. And that religion when ruled by man, intrinsically establishes rites of passage, standards that God never set up but man did. It's interesting that they call him or that they say he is possessed or of Beelzebul. This would literally be translated dynasty or house of Baal. Think of it, Jesus Teachers of the law witness now to his teaching and his work of casting out demons now say that Jesus is of the legacy of Satan, the house of Satan. But we're quick to always deride Pharisees. But here's the thing is that they are guided by fear. They're guided by preservation. In fact, the Pharisees were a large part of why Israel still had its cultural identity. You see, where you have tradition, where you have strong culture, you also have strong communal identity. And in some ways, that can be very purposeful and very redemptive, but in other ways, it can also be very hurtful and very Restrictive, which is what happened in this particular case, that their fear and, uh, and self-preservation did not allow them to go beyond what they already knew. The fear of something new. 
The fear of something different, a different way of thinking, a different way of communicating, a new authority on the block, but it produced the same kind of work, still scared these religious leaders. You know, the first time I had to put on uh, contacts, uh, who, who wears contacts here? All right, all right, y'all might know. Contacts are amazing, okay? When I, put, when, I, when I finally got used to them, like I saw the whole world versus just like glasses, you know, you see here and then my vision is really bad. So like if I look up, like I can't see anything. If I look down, I can't really see anything. But with contacts, I can see everything. So I'm like, hallelujah. I was like, oh my God, I can see. But putting contacts in the first time, you, it's, it's uncomfortable. You're, you're going against, in fact, some of your voluntary reflexes to reject putting something in your eye. You have to understand the greater portion is in the benefit of wearing the contact than in the discomfort and getting used to putting it in your eye. And that's what the Pharisees were not able to do. They weren't able to move past their discomfort of the unknown in order to realize the full benefit of what God was presenting them through the person of Jesus. See, this kingdom of this world would be uprooted. The world that's ruled by, by the prince of this world, Satan, it would be uprooted in the places in which we recognize and are aware of Jesus. Jesus breaks it down for them. In verse 23, he says, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. Well, how can Satan drive out Satan? Jesus is asking, how can I be doing something that's diametrically opposed to what Satan is all about if the source of my authority is Satan? He goes on to say in verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Jesus is saying... This, he's implying this, that the enemy is not going quietly. The enemy is not stupid. He won't be defeated by turning on himself. The enemy will be defeated when he is conquered. That the enemy has an expiration date and his demise won't be through self-destruction. You see, we aren't waiting around for the enemy to be defeated in our emotions and in our minds and in our families and in our relationships and in our churches and in our cities and communities. No, we're not waiting around for him to just go away. We are trusting in someone who has, has come to bind up the evil one. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 27. He, he says in a parable, in fact... No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So Jesus is saying, devil's strong. The devil is strong. He's had thousands of years to learn man's tendencies idiosyncrasies, 
He's been studying you through his minions. He knows your triggers, your temptations. Let me break it down like this. When I had uh, first, when I, when, I, when I bought my house, I bought these sponges that had two sides. On one side, it was green, and on the other side, it was yellow, right? The green side, what's that called? The scoring, scoring pad? Scouring pad. Okay, I don't know how I say it. Thank you for helping me out. The scouring pad was the green, was the green side, okay? And I would clean... My, my, my pans, my nonstick pans, okay, with a green scouring, scouring pad, okay? But that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to use a nonstick or a pan intention scouring pad, which is what color? Blue or yellow, I don't know. But most of them were blue, all right? So you have to use the appropriate sponge with the intended item. See, the devil knows just what kind of pad to rub you with in order to affect you and cause you to go into a downward spiral. But thanks be to God. Uh, The Bible talks about that there's someone who is the mighty one. You see, uh, the the word that's used for the the strong man here, it's it's similar in meaning to another word for stronger power, dunamis, but uh, these two words mean relatively the the same thing. They're they're talking about a a, a capability or or capacity, but but this word carries an, an additional implication in that it means strength actual power or force so 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 Jesus is saying that this devil not only has capacity or or capability he also has force he has power now now that's a dangerous enemy not to be uh, trifled with I I I don't think uh, we should trifle with the enemy but brothers and sisters be of good cheer because Christ is the stronger one. I, I think when, when Christ was telling this parable, he was hearkening back to Isaiah chapter 49 where it says, can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. No, brothers and sisters, or yes, brothers and sisters, the devil is strong, but we serve a God who is stronger. He has bound this devil. Good news is, if you have faith in Christ, not only is Christ strong, but the Christ in you is strong. First John Chapter 2 and 14 says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. 
And the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. We serve a God who is stronger. And if that God lives in you, so are you stronger than any temptation, stronger than any trial because of the God who is at work in you. It's amazing what Jesus says about these Pharisees and their blasphemy. Um, Effectively, Jesus is condemning this spiteful denial of the activity of God's spirit. They said he had an unclean spirit. Verse 28 Truly, I tell you, Jesus is speaking, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now, that is hard scripture. That is one of the hardest things Jesus says in the Gospels. What do we do With that, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Well, there are several ways you can kind of go with this because it's very difficult to understand what exactly is being said, but there are many valid interpretations. One, Jesus is perhaps using hyperbole. Um, So he's perhaps overstating um, what is being said, or perhaps he's just being very matter of fact, that as long as someone is blasphemous, they have set themselves up against forgiveness, that a blasphemous person can't be forgiven because they set themselves up against that. Okay, but, but, but here's the thing, it's easy for us to identify how unbelievers might be blasphemous. It's much difficult to see the blasphemy that goes on inside of the church. One commentator says it like this, vicious criticism of others in religious circles stems from a variety of motives. Sincere distress over something radically new Genuine alarm over what is perceived to be heresy. A desire to reassure that we belong to the good guys by branding others as the bad guys. Or a craven dread of laws of losing power. The teachers of the law were seeking to protect the law, their tradition and their stake in it. They may have firmly believed that God and scripture were on their side. But they were wrong, and their view was deadly to themselves and to others. I'll say this, that I believe we can poison the mission of the church when we demand to God, when we demand that God ascribe to our method of kingdom expansion. We're tempted to see 
That Christian mature, that, that Christian maturity, that, that, that Christian living both individually and communally goes on this linear line from A to B to C to D in the way that we have experienced it. But maturity and sanctification is not linear. Sometimes there are setbacks. I'll say it, that are setups for comebacks. Hallelujah. All right, I got that one in there. Also, sanctification isn't parallel. We aren't all on the same course together, but sometimes there's differences in growth, differences in experiences. That's part of the beauty of the Christian life is its messiness. That God loves us in our mess, both individually and together. That the messiness in any church is an opportunity for redemption. That church splits, conflict and contention are not of God, but are opportunities always for God to get the glory. There's good news about blasphemers in the church because there's redemption for blasphemers. Because Peter himself was a blasphemer. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Say, I never knew the man. When incognito, all those who abandoned Jesus, who had stuck by him all those three plus years, Departed him, but a few. John Mark, a character that we had studied earlier in one of our other sermon series, was a coward, in Paul's eyes at least, but redeemed himself, the writer of this book, (laughs) had been branded a coward. But there's redemption for blasphemers. Paul was a blasphemer. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Can you have the humility to say sometimes, Lord, I've acted in ignorance and unbelief. New Life Church, individually and corporately, how have we participated in blasphemy? In what ways have we denied the person and work of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's not so much that it's a reprimand that needs to go on, but perhaps in some ways it's a reminder to look into the spaces and the places and the people that we would not see as redemptive and understand that God is in the process of redeeming. Let's beware of the facade of the knowledge of Christ, but also the facade of the proximity to Christ. 
understand this, we must be on guard about our attempts to restrict Jesus because too often we get very familiar with him. Isn't that the case that when we get familiar with something, we take it for granted? When we get familiar with something, uh, the, the newness rubs off, the, 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 the love, the effect, the, the passion can lose its luster. And even sometimes familiarity makes restrictions on what's possible. Have you put restrictions on your children with what's possible? Have you put restrictions on your parents with what's possible to change, to be better, to submit to God and, and, and what he can do? Don't label folks places and spaces as irredeemable, unchangeable. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's interesting. Mark puts this, uh, the, the meat of this passage when he's talking about uh, the, the Pharisees and their blasphemy. But, but Mark is using a literary device called a, an inclusio or, or a sandwich as, as you would. How many of you know that a good cheesesteak is all about? The bread, though. You don't have an authentic cheesesteak unless you have Amoroso's bread. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the, 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 yes, lunch. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Might be on my way to, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, Ishkabibbles. Praise, praise him. Uh, but Jesus, or Mark, is, 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 is setting up a powerful point for those who are in the family of God. He, 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 he talks about the religious establishment, but, but also this facade can also be with those who are simply familiar with Christ. In fact, at the beginning of this passage and at the end, it's Jesus' associates and his family that are trying to put restrictions on him. It's not anymore his, his opposition, it's his family. At the beginning of the passage, they said he was out of balance. He was out of his mind. At the end of the passage, the family shows up and they say, they send people and they say, yo, yo, go get Jesus. And they go to Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, your family is looking for you. The, the passage might be better rendered as searching. Or, in, or in, in search of, seeking after. This force with which the people feel very familiar to just look at Jesus. As if he's not Lord, as if he's not Savior, as if he's not the agent of all creation. Dare we not become too familiar with Jesus. That we start to put his activity, his potential work, the possibilities through which he can work in this city, in this community, in a box. The inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is primarily grounded in Christ's work of redemption. 
God is all about redeeming things to himself. And if he is all about redeeming, ought we not be about the same thing? Redemption is the hallmark of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And if the will of God pertains primarily to the work of redemption, then that will must become the believer's main intention also. Our systematic ways of thinking of God are not the hallmark. So what ways of thinking, what ways of being is God himself reclaiming spaces, places, conversations, platforms upon which he will choose God will choose the places on which he will bear his name and show his glory. We are a people of reconciliation, a people of renovation, a people of redemption. And when our theology comes up against that, We should always be wise about that. Let's just dream about what's possible in New Life Church. When's the last time you dreamed about what's possible for your church? It's not just for Pastor Larry to think about. Not about what ought to be what can be. I'll leave you with that, people of God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We're grateful, God, that you live amongst this people here at New Life Church. Lord, you go before us, and you're behind us, and you're on the sides of us, Father God. You are with us. God, move amongst your people. Cause us to dream. Cause us to imagine what's possible. There are so many people here who love you, who have looked into the eyes of those who are oppressed, who have put their arms around them, Father God. Allow us to keep on, not to grow weary in well-doing, but to press into that, Father God. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.